This message is a presentation of Vortex Church in Albemarle, North Carolina. For more information about the ministry of Vortex Church, please visit us online at vortexchurch.com. Now, in the book of Acts, the book of Acts records, uh, as Luke is writing the book of Acts, it records a, a, a phrase that we utter a lot that Jesus said around this time of year. And, and that phrase is that it is better to give than to receive. Y'all have heard that before, right? Y'all know what I'm talking about. And there's no time like Christmas when it's more evident than it truly is better to give than to receive. You know how I know that? Because some of y'all are going to get some bad Christmas gifts at Christmas this year. And when you get that present and you unwrap it and you pull it out, it's truly going to be better to have given than to receive. You know what I'm talking about? So to help you guys out, to keep you from giving some really horrible bad Christmas gifts today, uh, we're going to focus on the aspect of Christmas that we so enjoy, and that's giving. Because this Christmas we're looking at how the Christmas story really is juxtaposed to the Christmas that we celebrate. The Christmas that we see in Scripture is remarkably small. And Christmas as we celebrate it today is the biggest, largest holiday that we share in our calendar year. And so to understand that, we, last week we looked at how the beginning of the story of redemption through Jesus began with small people and that God can use small people to do big things. This week we're going to look at how God can take a small gift and use a small gift to make a large impact. And if there's a passage of Scripture that really fits this, it really does come out of Luke 21. I'm going to read out of the message. The words will be on the screen for you. So just then he looked up and saw rich people dropping offerings in the collection plate. Then he saw a poor widow put in two pennies. And he said, The plain truth is that this widow has given by far the largest offering today. All these others made offerings that they'll never miss, but she gave extravagantly what she couldn't afford. She gave her all. You see, if we're going to understand Small gifts through God's eyes. This is a perfect illustration to jump into because Jesus is observing an offering taking place. And every week we take up an offering. Most churches do. And as he's observing the offering being taken up, there are people who are giving large quantities of money and one woman drops in a mite, a small fraction of what the other people are giving. And Jesus pulls his disciples together and says that if you want to know what a large gift really is, that's a large gift. 
What that widow just did is the large gift that happened this morning. Because the difference, and this is in your notes, the difference between a small gift and a large gift is not the size of the gift, it's the amount of the sacrifice in the gift. And Jesus in this moment is saying, if you want to know the difference between big and small, it's evident right here, this woman sacrificed everything she gave, all she had. It's the biggest gift that was given today because the others gave out of their convenience. They gave out of their comfort. But she gave everything. And if I'm going to stand up here and tell you that God can take a small gift in your life and use it to accomplish big things for His kingdom. I've got to tell you that small and large are not defined by what we like to think about. Small gifts in our eyes can be very, very large gifts for the kingdom. Because there's sacrifice and there's faith and there's belief that goes when we make that gift. In the 8th chapter of 2 Corinthians, the Apostle Paul is kind of caught in the middle of a situation that, again, really illustrates the difference between small gifts and large gifts the, the Apostle Paul has been ministering in Macedonia. Macedonia was a very poor area. And there has been a problem that's come up in Jerusalem. And what would happen in those days is that when a problem came up in the church, the whole church collectively would send money to help those churches. And in Macedonia, Paul writes this letter to the people in Corinth because the people in Corinth have pledged to give a very large gift to help this situation. And they have someone, kind of a runner, that's leaving their position, going through Corinth and heading back to Jerusalem. But see, he's in a poor church. He's in a poor conglomerate of churches. And out of respect for them and because of their financial setting, the Apostle Paul did not even intend to take up an offering, but they heard about the need. They heard about the need, and these very poor people took up a remarkably generous offering. They gave in ways that they couldn't even afford to. And so now the Apostle Paul is caught between this situation because the very wealthy church in Corinth has promised a gift. And now this very poor church in Macedonia has given a very a large gift. And he writes in this letter in chapter 8 this. 2 Corinthians 8, 7 through 9. But just as you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in complete earnestness, and in love for us, see that you also excel in this grace of giving. I'm not commanding you, and this is one of those 
verses that if you understand the backdrop, this all of a sudden begins to make sense. I'm not commanding you, but I want to test the sincerity of your love by comparing it with the earnestness of others. What? For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ that through that though he was rich yet for your sake he became poor so that through his poverty you might become rich. You see, in this passage of scripture, again, another time throughout scripture that we're seeing this picture of Jesus coming to earth and bringing heaven to us. The Apostle Paul says, hey, I'm, I'm, not, I just, I'm not trying to like call you out. I'm not trying to point a finger at you, but, but let's test the sincerity of your love against the earnestness of somebody else. Because you have a lot. They don't. And they've given sacrificially to support the kingdom of God. He begins that passage by saying this. And I think that if there's something that we could say to the church in America, it would be this. As you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in complete earnestness, and in your love for us, see that you also excel in this grace of giving. Because the story of Christmas is a story of God giving extravagantly to humankind. I mean, mankind finds the largest gift ever at Christmas in a small little baby. And if we're going to accurately reflect Jesus... If we're going to accurately look like Jesus on earth, if we're going to live out the life of Jesus on earth, we must excel in giving. That's in your notes. Because most of us, when we meet Jesus, we want to learn more about Him. I want to grow and and I may have said this before, but sometimes when new believers come in, I've heard them, uh, even, even here in our short little time, say this, you know, I just feel like I want to be fed. I'm just in a season I don't want to get involved. I don't, and I always want to look at them and say this, so you want to be fat. Because if all you do is get fed and you don't do anything, you're just going to get fat. We want to excel, and, and it's really easy to think that Kevin is just talking about money so far, but as we take a few moments and dive into this, I'm hoping that you're going to see that it's a lot bigger than that. Because Jesus, when He came to earth, gave you everything. It wasn't just the sacrifice financially of leaving riches behind. It was, here's my life. So, to keep from giving some bad Christmas gifts this year, I wanted to take a moment and step back and look at the first Christmas gifts that were ever given. It's this really weird passage 
out of the Gospel of Matthew. And if you have your Bibles, it is the text for us this morning, Matthew 2. And we're going to read verses 7 through 12. I'm going to set it up for you. Jesus has been born. He's arrived. Jesus is in the town. He's in the house. And God speaks to a group of people that Scripture calls the Magi. We like to call them the wise men. Y'all know what I'm talking about, right? How many wise men were there? Just quick. Everybody wants to say three. We don't know, right? Actually, probably a lot of folks. Because when they show up in town to find the king of the Jews that was born, they get a meeting with the most powerful man in the region. Now, I'm going to be honest with you. I know a few people, but if I show up in Washington, D.C., I am not going to get to see Obama. You know what I'm saying? I'm going to have to hijack something to even get to shake his hand, you know? I'm, and, and in this setting, these guys arrange a meeting with Herod. Now, Herod is one of those guys, if you understand the context and the time, Herod is a, a very powerful, very wealthy, regional king. And he is very, very afraid of losing his position. And so, literally, these guys go and say, hey, you know, we, we've heard from the angel of the Lord that the king of the Jews has been born. And he's like, well, I'm the... No. no. And he starts formulating a little plan. He sends them out. And we're going to pick up right after that in verse 7. Then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time. And the, the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and make careful search for the child. And as soon as you find him, report to me so that I, too, may go and worship him. After they had heard the king, they went on their way. And the star that they had seen in the east went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw the child with Mother Mary. And they bowed down, worshipped him. They opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold and incense and myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. Now, I'm going to be honest with you. There's some stuff in Scripture that just makes sense. It's like, yeah, I get that. These guys, where did they come from? I don't, I mean, what? They just show up out of nowhere. And then they leave and go right off into the sunset. But these guys do something very powerful as the story of Jesus begins to unfold. And let me tell you something that we see in this moment. This is just a little tidbit for you. It's in your notes. That authentic worship always results in sacrificial giving. Authentic worship always results in sacrificial giving because it doesn't say that they showed up with wrapped gifts. They didn't show up with a a gift basket and a fruitcake 
because y'all are going to get a bad fruitcake. Does anybody in here like fruitcake? Like one person. That's awesome. Thank you for being bold enough to admit it to us. So that means don't give, unless, unless you're giving him a present, do not give anybody some fruitcake. All right, just a little, a little help right there. But authentic worship always results in sacrificial giving because when these guys show up, they did not have the fruitcake or the gift basket. They did not have a gift bag. They had their stuff. And the Bible records that they opened up their treasures and gave. So I'm going to take you through some very quick lessons that I see out of this passage and how to excel in giving because the Bible tells us that God wants us to excel in giving, that we should be excelling in this grace of giving. So I'm going to give you some pointers out of the scriptures that we've looked at. The first thing is give good gifts. <laughs> give good gifts. And just to help you out, I'm going to give you a little, a little paradigm that I learned a long time ago that helps us understand what a good gift is. It's just a way of thinking about a gift that I would give to someone to know if it's a good gift or not. All right, the first thing is that the gift needs to reflect the personality of the receiver. It needs to reflect the personality of the person that is getting the gift. A good gift reflects the personality of the person that is getting the gift. And so if they love music, it is correct to assume that you should probably give them something that has to do with music. If they love movies, if they love gaming, if they love reading books, whatever they love, whatever their personality is, a good gift should reflect their personality. The second thing is, the gift should resonate with the relationship of the giver. And so, sometimes, it is appropriate for a man to give his wife a gift that he probably ought not to be given to the lady he works with at work. You know what I'm talking about right there, right? So there's some things that you might wrap up and give to your wife that I should not be giving to my secretary. Y'all know what I'm talking about? So the gift should reflect the relationship. The third thing is, is that it should relate to the occasion. It should relate to the occasion that at Christmas there's this really big idea of giving something to someone that, that they want, that this is a season of giving. At, at birthdays, it's a, a time to celebrate, to celebrate that person and, and sometimes big numbers and don't Talk about big numbers. I just learned that lesson. Don't put like 60 on the card or anything like that. That's a bad gift if you do that. All right. Um, but it is helpful to make sure that the gift relates to the occasion. As a matter of fact, let's just think about the gifts that the Magi give to Jesus. 
go. How many of y'all got like just some gold laying around? You know, like large chunks, big hunks, gold bars. Not many of us, right? Because even in this day, in the extravagant wealth that we live in today, gold is rare. And it speaks to value. And in those days, it, the presence of gold would have referenced royalty. And so you're looking at the birth of, of a king and, and these, these guys know supernaturally who Jesus is and they go to their treasure and pull out gold. This is the appropriate gift for a king as he comes to earth. Frankincense is described a couple different ways, but let's just think of it as, as a perfume, as something that would be applied to something that is beautiful. And so they go to their treasure and they say, what is appropriate for this situation? Frankincense, because this is the most beautiful moment in all of human history that God Himself has taken on a frail form of humanity. He's not just a human like us, a grown adult. He's a brand new babe. We'll come back to the last one. Let's go ahead and go forward. Number two, how to excel in giving. Embrace a lifestyle of giving. Husbands, let me just tell you something. If the only time you give your wife flowers on her birthday, Mother's Day, Valentine's Day, and maybe Christmas, you've missed it. Wives, if the only time you take time to celebrate your husband is on his birthday and at Christmas, on your anniversary, you've missed it. Because giving is a lifestyle. It's not something that we should just relegate to a moment and to another moment. It should be something that we embrace, engage, and pursue as a lifestyle. And the question is, is there, well, why, why should I do that? Because that's exactly what God did through Jesus at Christmas. He came down and took the form of life and lived a life completely giving himself to you. Give holistically. Don't just think about presents and gifts. Give, and I, I like to throw these terms around, your time, your talent, and your treasure. Why, why do I say those three things? Because those are three things that God has a plan for in your life, but He's allowed you to be the steward over them. You are not the owner of your time, talent, and treasure.
It's not yours. Your talents, your abilities, they're not yours. God gave them to you. And all too often we get reminded that our time on earth is not ours either. And if you're not living with the awareness that your treasure, your resources are God's, let's embrace that because your time, talent, and treasure are. And we want to holistically give. And as we read through these passages of Scripture, when we think about a lifestyle of giving, one thing that we need to focus on is to focus on sacrifice. Because in most churches, I could ask this question, and it's an ouch question. It's one of those questions that hurts, and it should hurt us a little bit. What are you sacrificing for? In your life right now, what are you sacrificing for? What's hurting you so that, so that you can give even more? Where, where's the sacrifice right now in your life? Because when we look at that widow with that small gift, Jesus teaches us that if we're going to give and give the way that God intends us to give, it's going to be sacrificially. The last thing that I see, especially when we start to consider about a lifestyle of giving, is that giving produces joy. That's not in your notes, but generosity produces joy. Let's move on to the next thing in your notes. Don't be afraid to give small gifts. Don't be afraid to give small gifts. You see, in Luke 21, that woman that we just talked about, and in 2 Corinthians 8, the Macedonian church that the Apostle Paul is referencing, God used some small gifts to make a big difference. And all too often, we... We even think in the back of our minds, we think this, you know, this gift isn't big enough to count. This, this thing that I, that I want to do, it won't, even, it won't even matter. It won't even make a dent in the, the, the whole story that I'm looking at. I don't even know how I can push against that with this small gift. But in those two occasions, we see that God takes small gifts and multiplies them and uses them for His kingdom. The largest gifts are not always the gifts with the most zeros attached to it. Y'all know that, right? The largest gifts are not always the gifts that have the most zeros attached to it. And church, I want us to be the kind of church that gives and gives well. 
I want us to be a church that blesses the socks off of some people. And sometimes it's so easy to think this gift, this gift that I have, it won't matter. But you want to know something that I've heard over and over again since we launched? You know what? The first time I stepped in there, I just felt so welcome. I just, I felt like you guys liked me. Well, that's good, because we do. But, um, and, and you know what that means? That means that somebody in a blue shirt was sitting out there waving and smiling at somebody. Does that seem like a big gift? I mean, we can all fake a smile, right? But it matters. It matters to you. It matters to me. See, sometimes we look at gifts and we, we say, man, I can't, I can't do that. I can't. It's not even going to make a dent. But God can take a small gift and use it to make a big difference. As a matter of fact, let's go back to the, to the Magi. Because out of their treasures they pulled gold and then frankincense. And the scripture tells us that out of their treasure they pulled myrrh. And if at all today we knew what this stuff was, we would sit there and go, what in the world? That doesn't make any sense. Because myrrh was a burial spice. It was something that was used to adorn bodies as they were being prepared for burial. So these men who see this little baby reach into their riches and pull out a testimony from the moment that it all begins that you are here and you're here to pay a price. Because when Christmas is boiled down to the greatest gift that any of us have ever gotten, it is found in that manger in a tiny little baby that was born to die for my sins and for your sins. And perhaps today you've been thinking, man, Kevin's been talking about money the whole time. No, I have. Because the greatest gift that any of us ever got was a small child that was born to die. So when they went to their treasure, what is the perfect thing for this? Myrrh. They lay it down. You see, it's easy to think at Christmas, let's give big gifts. Let's give lots of flowers and perfumes and let's give boxes of chocolates, but perhaps maybe you need to give somebody the gift that Jesus has already given you. Maybe today you need to forgive somebody. 
Maybe today you need to extend grace to somebody that's wronged you. Because can I tell you something? You will never forgive anybody any more than Jesus has forgiven you. And the greatest gift that we get at Christmas is found in a manger in the form of a little baby that was born to bear my sins and your sins. And that small gift changed the course of history. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, today as we pause... As we think about the gifts that you have so generously given us, as we think about the birth of of Jesus, as we are reminded again of the, the truth of your Son sent to earth to, to die. God, as we we encounter that truth today, let us not be so callous to it that we don't think about it. God, let it just kind of be, be new and fresh for us today. And Lord, today as we think about what, what kind of gift can I give this Christmas? Perhaps, perhaps some of us need to give the gift of forgiveness. And perhaps some of us need to receive the gift of forgiveness. So with nobody looking around, all heads bowed, eyes closed, nobody moving, Let me ask you a question today. That little baby that was born to die grew up to become the man that we call Jesus. And he went to a cross and was crucified. And on that cross, all the sin of the world, everything that has been wrong was poured out on him so that we can be right with God. So that that stuff doesn't have to stand in between me and God Himself. So today, let me just ask you a question. Have you accepted Jesus as your Savior? That means, are you willing to say, I've blown it, I've I've messed this whole thing up, I've been so very wrong but I want to live a life that reflects Jesus I want to follow him I want him to be my savior if that's you today the greatest Christmas gift you're going to unwrap this Christmas is the gift of Jesus and if you haven't unwrapped it yet My prayer is that you do it right now. 
So if that's you and you're in this place with nobody looking, would you raise your hand real quick? I'm, I'm not going to ask you to go anywhere. I see that. Anybody else? Anybody else? The second thing that I would want to ask you is today. Is that sometimes forgiveness seems like a mound that we have to go over. But perhaps today, in light of the big gift of forgiveness that God has so generously given to you, maybe today you might feel God's calling to be forgiving to somebody else this Christmas. If that's you and you know right now in your seat where you are right now that there's somebody and I need to forgive them and I need to tell them that they're forgiven, if that's you, would you raise your hand? That's good. I'm going to pray for you guys. Lord Jesus, for those of us in the room that have committed our lives to you, God, pursue us. Change us. God, for those of us that are here today, and we know that there's some brokenness that has existed in a relationship and we need to walk out of here and we need to give what may seem like a small gift but in your eyes and in the kingdom of God it may turn out to be a very large gift today of forgiveness for those of us that can identify with that today Lord do not let go of us until we respond to that truth so that your glory may be big even in the midst of our smallness because that's what we want God it's for your glory in the name of Jesus we pray amen amen